great reminder that we serve a God who has overcome, amen? An unstoppable God can't even be stopped by our own mistakes and failures, shortcomings. If you would take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 18. Uh, we're going to look at several verses in the book of John, but I want to focus on uh, one specific verse, which is verse 38. But I'm going to read 33 through 38 just to give us a little bit more context. But before we do that, I want to kind of introduce this, uh, this topic. We've, we've been dealing with lies that the enemy tells us. And today we're going to focus on this one, which is live your truth or follow your heart. Uh, by the way, those are really kind of the same thing. You know, the, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. That means all of these new age things are really just old age things that we've refurbished, uh, polished, changed around a little bit and, and kind of put back out there like there's some kind of, you know, revelation. Ooh, live your truth. Follow your heart. That was one that we've heard a few years ago. But it's the same thing. So when I was trying to look at this and trying to think about this lie, the enemy tells us that we should live our truth and we should follow our heart. I looked around on some websites and I found, a, I found several, sadly, a lot of them. But I found two specifically that gave definitions, and I want to give those to you. According to one of them, to live your truth means simply to live as your most authentic self. Now, in your mind, I'm a visual learner. Y'all know that. So in my mind, I'm, I'm seeing the words. I underline it in my mind. I would recommend that you don't try to do that literally because you'll scratch your corneas. But just underline that in your mind. To live as your most authentic self. Doing things daily that bring you happiness and joy, living as true to yourself, there it is again, as possible. Now, by the way, we're going to talk about this as we go, but that's one of the major problems we have in our lives. We're already doing this. Your true authentic self is a liar. Your true authentic self is evil. Your true authentic self is the reason that you needed to send the Son of God to Calvary to die for your sins because of your true authentic self. That's another way of saying give in to your pleasures, give in to your flesh, give in to your most basic desires. That's what living your truth is according to this definition, to, to live as your most authentic self. Second definition, another website I found, and by the way, I didn't cherry pick. I, I looked at several of them, and they all said the same kind of regurgitated the same garbage. So I just picked two of them that I felt like captured it the best. Number two, to live uh, to me, living as your truth is living your most truthful self. I don't know about y'all, but myself is a liar. I don't need to listen to myself because myself will tell me lies all the time. You're good enough. You don't have to, you shouldn't eat right. You, sh you're, you're, you know, you deserve that. Uh, you shouldn't treat people better than, you, than they treat you because they don't deserve that because the way they treated you. My, my, myself is always looking out for number one, and, and that's a negative. That's a bad thing to do. But it says living your most truthful self and fully embracing yourself as a person. Now, I was going to pick on Byron, but he's not in here, and I don't want to waste it. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a bigger guy. I can't embrace myself. Now, some of y'all little skinny people, y'all probably can. I've seen some of y'all look like y'all need a biscuit in a hurt, like stat. <laughs> y'all might can embrace yourself. I can't. I, and I, I, think that's, I think that's by design. Honestly, I think that God designed us that way. He doesn't want us to embrace ourselves. He wants us to embrace the cross of Christ. He wants us to embrace the Spirit and the Son of God so that we can live better than our true, authentic self. All that touchy-feely garbage. 
we can't embrace ourselves, and I think that's by design. It says we are all different as individuals and should be able to fully express our differences and live in full openness and truthfulness. Blah, 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 blah. What a bunch of self-help, feel-good, gobbledygook. There's nothing beneficial in there. There's nothing helpful in there. And to me, that's the problem with living your truth. It's all, it's all dust. It's all smoke and mirrors. If you would, I know we just sat down and y'all just got comfortable. That's probably not a good thing. Let's stand and acknowledge and honor the public reading of the Word of God. Again, we're going to read verses 33 through 38 of John 18. And uh, some of the other verses we're going to look at later are leading up to this. This is kind of the culmination of those preparatory verses and passages as Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's about to happen. We pick it up here in the story where he has been taken to Pilate for his first uh, real uh, trial, if you will, before the Roman powers. It says, Then Pilate went back into the headquarters and summoned Jesus. <laughs> All right. Y'all got to get the irony of this. This, this human authority who's, that's like, that's like a, a, an ant summoning a lion. You know, like, you don't summon the Prince of Peace, the, the Lord of Lords. And you, anyway, that's just comical to me. And he said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, are you asking this on your own or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Now, by the way, Pilate is a little gruff there because the Romans look down on the Jews. And he's, he's like, I'm not a Jew. Like, he said that with disdain. He says, your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. Again, the irony of somebody handing over the most powerful being that ever stepped foot on this planet handing him over to somebody. What have you done? Listen to Jesus' response. My kingdom is not of this world. See, Pilate expected him to say, I haven't done anything, man. Let me go. Or all I've done is be good to people. All I've done is heal people and be kind to people. Let me go. You shouldn't treat me like this. That's not the response of Jesus. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews... But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate, obviously scratching his head, either physically or literally or, or, or uh, theoretically, says, you're a king then. And Jesus says, you say that I'm a king. I was born for this. And I have come into the world for this to testify to the truth, the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now, this is Pilate speaking to Jesus here, and he asks him this question. And this is the question I want to kind of hang this sermon on because this, this is the important question for us today. I would go so far as to say this is probably the second most important question in Scripture. The first being when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who you say Jesus is is the most important question in life. The second most important question that usually follows that one is this one. What is truth? And that question just hung there. And Jesus just kind of sat there. He had said what he was going to say. He was not trying to get out of this. He knew he was born for this. And so Pilate just sits there. Can you picture the scene of Pilate just staring at him like, waiting for an answer, and Jesus just sits there calmly looking at him? 
After he said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging him. Let's pray. Father, speak today through your word, through your servant. Empty me of me. Father, fill me fresh with you. Let your truth be heard today. For the honor of King Jesus, we pray it in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I will tell you this kind of uh, to, to complete the tale of Pilate. Uh, church history tells us that he committed suicide sometime during the reign of the Emperor Caligula. So I find it ironic, I find it tragic actually, that he stood before the embodiment of all truth and asked him what is truth and yet never found the answer to that and eventually took his own life. So I want to talk to you today about three things about this lie the enemy tells us to, to follow your heart or to live your truth. Number one, real truth is objective, not subjective. Real truth is objective, not subjective. Subjective truth is what someone believes to be true based on experiences or opinions or point of view. Now, I'll give you an example. My wife is the best cook on this planet. Wait, actually, in, in hindsight, I don't think that's really subjective. I think that's objective. I think that... And these were, these were better jokes when I wrote them, Grace, and I thought that we would. See, that's sarcastic. Anyway. Thank you. <laughs> Subjective truth, based on your opinion, based on your angle, based on your experiences. Objective truth is what is true regardless of anyone's experiences or opinions. I'll give you an example. My wife is the most beautiful woman on this planet. Every one of them. Objective. It's Anyway. But seriously, objective truth is that which is true regardless of angle or opinion or experiences. I'll give you some examples. I want you to shout out answers here. Lord, help us. Two plus two equals? Four. Okay, good. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I'm not. I'm not going to do it. Dogs give birth to? Puppies. Man, this is a smart... 8.30 crowd was struggle busing this morning. They, some of them missed the first two. Cats give birth to? Y'all are three for three. Apples are produced by? Trees. Specifically? Apples. Thank you. Apples are not produced by trees in a... Hey, my. They're produced by apple trees. See, those are objective truths. It doesn't matter your opinion. I could tell my teacher that 2 plus 2 equals 6, and I'm living my truth, but I'm pretty sure I'm still going to make an F on that test. I can tell you that I picked a piece of fruit off of an apple tree and that it was a pear, but I'm, I'm living my truth. No, you're a moron. That's not a pear. <laughs> Frederick Nietzsche, all right, well, this great thinker, this great philosopher, so they say, here's what he said about truth. He said that truth was, quote, a mobile army of metaphors, metonyms, and anthropomorphisms. Honestly, I think Nietzsche just had a good dictionary and he threw words out. He says truth are illusions. Think about this now. This is somebody who people listen to as this great thinker. He said truth, truths are illusions. He says this, they are coins which have lost their pictures and now matter only as metal 
no longer as coins. Do you see the idiocity of that? That is a ridiculous statement. Now, he may be talking about subjective truth. Subjective truth, you could say that about. Subjective truth is an illusion. Subjective truth is a, a, a coin which has lost its picture, and now it matters only as metal, not as a coin. But objective truth, you cannot say that about. Objective truth is truth no matter what you think of it. John 17, I told you we're going to be in John. Back up a chapter. John 17, beginning of verse 17. This is Jesus praying to the Father. He's about, he knows what's about to happen. He knows he's about to be arrested and all this is going to happen. He's going to be crucified. He's, he's prepared his disciples. We'll back up and see that in a minute. But he says this. He prays this. He says, God, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Sanctified means to purify, to make holy, to prepare for service. Jesus here is saying, God, I'm asking you to sanctify them, my disciples. By the way, all of us, he's praying this prayer for the men sitting close to him, but he's also praying this prayer for men and women who have given their lives to Christ today, who were his disciples, his ambassadors into the world. He's saying, Father, sanctify them by their truth. Make them holy by your truth. Your word is truth. Here's the primary problem with embracing the idea that truth can be personal or multiple or, or moving. If it goes against Scripture, it is not and cannot be truth. Why? Because the Word of God is truth. And the method that God uses to sanctify His children as we are being molded into the image of His Son Jesus, that's what is truth, the Word of God. Real truth is objective, not subjective. Number two, real truth has no Agenda. Uh, self-help books. Uh, I love to read the covers of self-help books. 90 Days to a Better You. Seven Secrets to a Better Marriage. Eight Ways to Win Friends and Influence People. All of these books, they're not made to help you. They're made to sell books. They're, they're the cheese on the rat trap, and you're the rat. You're going to read this book and think, I've got it. You're going to go out and you're still going to be the same jerk you were before you read the book. You're still going to be the same moron you were before you read those seven Oprah books. Unless you have, listen to me, unless you have been transformed by the risen Christ. Unless you have been filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The old you is dead. The new you is alive. You can read all the books you want to read. It ain't fixing nothing in your life. And it surely is not fixing your eternal, eternal destination. The self-improvement industry. I love that we have an industry called the self-improvement industry. Have y'all met people? It ain't working. The self-improvement industry was worth $9.9 billion in 2016. It's estimated that by the end of this year, it will be worth $13.2 billion. The self-improvement industry industry. You don't think there's an agenda? Listen, don't be foolish. Don't be simple-minded. Don't be naive and think that they're putting these books out to help you. They're not. You, you don't think there's an agenda why people would dismiss the Bible as the word of Almighty God? You don't think that 13.2, there's not 13.2 billion reasons 
for them to tell you that you should read their book and not the book? You don't think there's 13.2 billion reasons they say you should come to my seminar where I can tell you a bunch of gobbledygook that you can repeat to yourself over and over again rather than give your life to Jesus and have him transform you so that you would treat others better than they treat you, so that you would live out the, the example of Jesus when he came to earth not to be served but to serve? You don't think that there's an agenda behind the truth that they're trying to tell you to live? They don't want you to live your truth. They want you to buy their books. They want you to come to their seminars, watch their videos, repeat their mantras. These are terrible people who are trying to prey on the naive to get you to lean into this lie they're trying to sell you. The only, the only cure for the problems that you have are the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's given you that for free. You can go buy a Bible. You can read the one online for free. If you don't have one, we'll give you one before you leave today. Read the book. Commit your life to Christ. And that's your only self-improvement you ever need. They say that you can't love anybody unless you're, you're letting them live their truth. That's not true. I love my kids. I, don't let them put their hand, I didn't let them put their hands on the stove when they were little. Oh, that's just let them live their truth. No, they're going to burn their hand. That's not living your truth. Don't do that or it will hurt you. And then I would, they would reach for it, and I would pop their hand. That's what you do. That's what the Holy Spirit does to me. Listen, if I'm left to my own devices and my own authentic self, I'm going to be a terrible person. I know. You know why? You know why I know that? Because I knew that guy for like 26 years. He was a terrible guy. He had everybody snowballed into thinking he was some saint. He was a jerk. He was a self-serving, self-ingrandizing idiot. And the only thing that changed him was the blood of Christ. It wasn't my desire to do anything good. It wasn't my desire to get better. It was my desire to get my wretched self out of hell, to turn my life over to the Lordship of Christ. That's what changed me. That's what took away my authentic self and poured in the Spirit of God. You know what love really does? Listen to what 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says. Peace, love people, let them live their truth. No, love finds no joy in unrighteousness. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in what? The truth. Well, you hurt my feelings. Good. Good. Embrace it. One of the best things that ever happened, some, sometimes still, some of the best things that ever happened to me are when I get my little feelings hurt. Only when I get my little feelings hurt do I re-examine my motives and my operations and what I'm thinking and what I'm doing and how I'm living. Sometimes I need the Holy Spirit of God to interrupt my stupidity, hurt my feelings, and shift my point of view, shift my direction. Johannes Kepler was a German astronomer. He was referred to as the father of celestial mechanics. Listen to me, brilliant guy, okay, brilliant guy, amazing brain. Here's what he said. He described his study of the universe as, quote, thinking God's thoughts after him. You see, Kepler understood that all truth is God's truth. The movement of the planets are moving under the truth of God's design. Now, I told you we'd look at the progression. Go back to John 8 with me for a minute. I want you to see this progression of the teachings of Jesus. At first, he's speaking to a group of Jews, but primarily to the disciples. But there's a group. Then he's later, we're going to read in John 14, where he's speaking specifically to the disciples. And then John 16 again, where he's speaking directly to the disciples. And then we see, we already read that in 17, where he's praying for the disciples. So John 8, 31 and 32, 
Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But Brother Kevin, people, people can't feel free when they're restricted by something as archaic as the Bible. They need to be able to live their truth. False. There is no real freedom until you're free from your shackles and slavery of your sin and your flesh and your true, authentic self. Freedom is only found in slavery to Christ. That's the only real freedom. Why? Because it takes the shackles of sin and death off of you and gives you the freedom to walk in the newness of life that has been given to us through Christ. Now flip ahead to John 14. John 14, 6. They're having a conversation, and Thomas, Jesus says, uh, where I'm going, you will go to one day. I can't remember exactly how he words it. And Thomas is confused. He goes, how are we going to go where we don't know? Like, how are we going to go where you're saying to go, but we don't know the way? And then Jesus responds to him this way in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's not, listen to me, he's not a way. He's not a version of the truth. He is the way and the truth. There's no way to Yahweh except through the way. That's who Jesus is. That's what he said he was, and that's what he proved he was. Look at John 16, John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Who is the spirit of truth? The Holy Spirit. So catch this, look at this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's asking God later on to sanctify them in the truth, which is his word, the truth. And then he says that the spirit, when the spirit comes, the spirit is the truth. Well, how can all those things be the same? Because God is three in one, Father, Son, Spirit. Jesus in the flesh is the Christ, the Messiah. He is the truth. God, through the Spirit, His Spirit is the truth. His Word is the truth. Why? Because anything from God, associated with God, of God, is true. It's the truth. Paul talks about how the suppression of truth can lead to the complete rejection of God and the wrath of God coming. Listen to Romans 1, 18 and 19. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress, wait for it, the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. God's wrath is going to fall on unrighteous people. Why? Because they're unrighteous. That's the easy answer but because they are suppressing the truth. How do they suppress the truth? Eight ways to a better marriage. Seven ways to a happier you. Fifty ways to be the most popular guy in your cul-de-sac. Whatever book you read, it's suppressing the truth unless it's pointing you to Jesus. And that is unrighteous. It's unrighteous to do anything that distracts from the glory of God. If I'm up here preaching, I'm saying, you should give me applause because I'm a good preacher. I, I'm living in disobedience. I am in unrighteousness just by asking you to give me accolades for what I'm doing because what I'm doing is not for me, it's for him. Everything we do that does not bring glory to God is an unrighteous act. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this, Unless I am convinced by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. Listen to this. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. Chris, can I tell you something? 
Every man in here, listen to me. If our, if our men who profess the name of Jesus, if every man, young man, old man, who has professed faith in Christ would allow his conscience to be held captive by the word of God, why don't you listen to me? It would save marriages. It would save homes. It would turn around communities. It would change the states. It would save our nation because this is what's going to happen. When our, our conscience is held captive by the word of God, then we're going to live out the truth of that word. Ladies, can I just ask you, y'all ain't getting off this, y'all ain't getting out of this scot-free. Ladies, can I just tell you, if more of our women would allow their consciences to be held captive by the word of God rather than what's on Instasham, How many likes can I get for my beach pick? How many likes can I get for my whatever I'm eating for whatever meal of the day? I don't know how some of y'all have time to eat. You're too busy taking portraits of your food. Y'all look at me. I got meat on me, baby. We ain't taking pictures of it. We better keep better get a fork and a knife. If you want to get a picture of what I'm eating, you better get it before it gets to that plate. Amen. <laughs> when it gets on that table, hey, woo, we're going to town. That picture's gonna look like a train wreck when I get done with it. How about this? How about some of our ladies? If you were more concerned about your conscience being held captive by the word of God than what somebody thought about what you posted on Facebook or some argument you're trying to have with somebody in the comment section of some ridiculous, meaningless post or what kind of cat you would be if you were a cat or <laughs> where your dream home would be if you... Here's how Luther finished what he said. He said, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. We need more men and women who will stand with their consciences captive to the word of God. Real truth is objective, not subjective. Real truth has no agenda. Number three, following your heart is just deadly. <laughs> following your heart is deadly. I told you that today's live your truth is just yesterday's follow your heart. And it'll be something else six months from now, a year from now. 1 John 3.20, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You see, here's the thing. The, the, the Bible talks about the heart a lot. and Sometimes it uses the Greek word cardia, which is where we get cardiologist, cardiac. It's what we refer to as the heart. But also sometimes it'll refer to the heart and the mind almost synonymously, interchangeably. The, the premise here is that your heart is the center of you, the middle of your being. It is what, what makes you you. And listen to what the weeping prophet Jeremiah said about the heart. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Austin, another t-shirt idea for, uh, for uh, Valentine's Day. Jeremiah 17, 9. I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give to each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. Here's what this passage teaches us. Your heart, listen to me, your heart's a liar. It is corrupt to its core, and it is incurable. It's a liar, it's corrupt, and it's incurably so. There's no cure 
for your corruptive, lying, deceiving, wicked heart. Now let me ask you again. That's what you want to follow? Does that sound like a good idea? You're talking about following a snake oil salesman. That's what your heart is. It's okay. It's okay. Come do whatever you want to do. You see, that's why we need a heart transplant, every one of us. Every person ever born on this planet, save one, the Lord Jesus, was born in desperate need of a heart transplant. Listen to what God did, Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. God says through the prophet Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone, that lying, deceitful, desperately wicked thing, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. I have people all the time ask me, Brother Kevin, how do I know that I'm saved? How can I know that I've really surrendered my life to Christ? How are you living? What kind of choices are you making? Let's do a little experiment here. And you don't have to answer this out loud, but I just want you to think. Think back to a, a big mess up, all right? Think back to some sin that you've committed that you know was bad. Maybe, maybe it was proven to you by a court of law that it was bad. But some, some terrible thing that you've done in your past, all right? And by the way, if you think you ain't got one, Okay, then. Just think, maybe, maybe for you it's, I took a piece of gum from the, from the grocery store. I heard a story one time of a little boy standing there staring at the gum, and he was looking around, and he's staring at a piece of gum, and he was looking around, and he picked it up and was looking at it, and he's thinking about putting it in his pocket. And this guy been watching him, he says, hey, I know you're thinking about stealing that gum. He said, no, I'm, I'm thinking about how to not steal this gum. <laughs> That's how the flesh works. I'm not thinking about stealing it. I'm trying to talk myself out of stealing it. Maybe for you it was stealing a piece of gum. Maybe for you it was cheating on a test. And maybe for you it was cheating on a spouse. Maybe for you it was a drug or drink or, or stealing money from your company, whatever it was. Think back to that one thing, that thing that you did that you have. And listen, I know everybody has those things. That thing that you regret doing. I think if you're being honest, every one of us would say, in that moment we felt something in us saying, don't do that. Every one of us at some point have been in that situation where we have a decision to make. Am I going to do the wrong thing or am I going to listen to this something in me, some, something? It's, it's making me uncomfortable. Maybe it's almost like an audible voice screaming, don't do this. You see, that's what God does. That's how God gives us that information to tell us not to do those things. When you've submitted your life to the Lordship of Christ, when you've surrendered to him, that voice is, is more than audible. It's it's reverberating in your mind that you know when you start to go down a wrong path when you start to even think about the wrong things you hear that spirit going uh-uh here's what I hear I hear my granny Cobb's voice my granny Cobb sweet little lady she's a little bitty thing and she would do this thing she would go ah! and it would run up my spine like like icicles and I swear my granny Cobb had ESP she could be in the other room cooking and I'd be in the, in, around the little corner of the little clapboard house with the barbershop on the road and the house behind it. She'd be way on the other side of the house, and I'd be in a rock and think she could see me. And I'd start to do something, and she would go, ah! I could hear her from all over the house. 
See, that's that voice I hear. It's not her voice, though. That's God's voice. That's the Holy Spirit telling me, hey, ah, don't do that. Don't, don't think about that. Don't go down that path. Don't start down that road because there's nothing good for you down that road. That's what it means to be born again. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. That's why the writer of Proverbs said to guard your heart, Proverbs 4, 23, guard your heart above all else for it's the source of life. I know that I hear that voice when God is telling me that's not for you. That's not yours. Don't think about it. Don't look at it. Don't take it. How do I know I'm saved? Because I hear that voice when I'm doing something wrong, when I'm thinking about doing something wrong. And I turn. I repent of my sins once, which means I, I came to faith in Christ. I laid my sins down, and I walked the opposite away from them. But now I continue in my life to not turn back to those sins, to not get distracted by other sins, to keep following Christ. And whenever he tells me I'm doing something wrong, I say, yes, Lord, and I repent. There was a popular song back in the late 1970s. Some of y'all probably know the song. Not as many as in the 830, but some of y'all probably know the song. By a lady by the name of Debbie Boone. Uh-huh, I heard some of y'all. Some of y'all said, ooh, I like Debbie Boone. 1977, Debbie Boone. The name of the song was You Light Up My Life. Here's the closing stanza. You ready for that? By the way, I can see... I can see Neil McKeever singing this to Julie. There was, some, there was some date where they were on, and Neil stood up in the restaurant, grabbed a microphone, and sang this heartfelt rendition. <laughs> Here, here's the closing stanza. Listen to this. This is where the whole song, listen, they're, they're landing the plane of this song, and here's, here's the runway they chose. It can't be wrong when it feels so right, because you, you light up my life. That is about the most ignorant bunch of nonsense <laughs> that I have ever heard. And I thought about that, and I was like, well, it was the 70s. And then I realized there's a bunch of other stupid stuff just as bad as that we put in music today. We just sing it to a different beat and a little bit louder. But here's the thing. If you let that idea, it can't be wrong because it feels so right. You let that creep into your life, and you get to mess around and think about that with my wife, and I'm going to light up your life. <laughs> and you're going to feel something that don't feel right. <laughs> and Lucas, I hope somebody hears that voice in their head when they get to study on my wife. I hope they hear my granny's voice going, Because ah! I will light up your life and the surrounding area. Here, here, all kidding aside, here's the thing. That song speaks to our true authentic self. That song shouts into our being. See, I told you, you can do anything you want to do as long as it feels right. If it feels good, do it. That was a mantra back in the day. This is the same thing. See, again, if it feels good, do it. Follow your heart. Live your truth. Listen to me. All of those are lies from the enemy that tell you to listen to yourself instead of listening to the Spirit of God. And if you listen to yourself, listen to me, Yourself will tell you, it's okay, just try it. I tell people this all the time. I, I can understand why some people get caught up in some addictions. I've seen, the, I've seen like all the data on meth and heroin and stuff like that. I don't understand that first time that you look at it and go, yeah, but it won't happen to me. No, it will. If you try it, it will hook you and it will kill you. It will take everything from you. It will send you to prison. It will send you to the grave. It will ruin the lives of those around you. Why? Because it can't be wrong if it feels so right. It's a lie. 
This mantra is what we have programmed into our flesh, and it's what ruins marriages. It's what causes people to, to do terrible things to kids. It's what causes people to get hooked on alcohol and drugs. It ruins relationships. It destroys businesses. It destroys churches. We're going to get the preacher fired. It can't be wrong when it feels so right. Proverbs 16.2, all a person's ways seem right to him. Doesn't that sound like that? It can't be wrong when it feels so right. The author of Proverbs had that. All a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs motives. For the follower of Christ, I want you to hear me, truth is essential. It's essential for living. It's essential for making disciples. It's essential for making good decisions. Ephesians 6.14, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. Like a belt. Flannery O'Connor said, the truth does not change according to our ability to stomach it. And I think that's really where we are as a society. Uh, again, I'm not going to go on that rant again, but we've lost the ability to tell people no. We've lost the ability to tell people that what they're doing is, is detrimental. It's unhealthy. It's unwise. Why? Because they're just living their truth. Who am I to stand in their way? You should be somebody to stand in their way if you're a follower of Christ, if you care anything about that person. There's a, a poem called The Blind Men and the Elephant. Anybody ever heard that? The Blind Men and the Elephant by John Gottfried Sachs. It's a pretty cool little poem. It, it's, the opening stanza reads as such. It was six men of Indostan, to learning much inclined, who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. And it goes on to tell this story of six men who came into this, uh, apparently this uh, room where they had an elephant, and they all blindly came in and started feeling of it. And depending on what they felt, they described the elephant. The first one felt the, the side of the elephant and said, ah, it must be a wall. And the second one came in and felt the tusk, and he said, oh, it must be a spear. And the third one felt the trunk and said, oh, it must be a snake. And the fourth one felt one of the legs, the huge legs, and it said, oh, it must be a tree. And then the sixth one, the fifth one came in and felt the ear and said, it must be a fan. And then the sixth one came in and felt the tail and it said, it must be a rope. Now, what do they all have in common? They were all dead wrong. An elephant is not a rope or a spear or a tree or a fan or a wall or a snake. It's an elephant. But all six of these men had real experience to draw from, and they all came to what seemed to be a logical conclusion, and each one was incorrect. Here, here's the thing. Life is a lot like this fabricated story in this poem. You see, all of us were born blind to eternal things, and, and we grope around in this life blindly, feeling and trying to figure things out and we determine what to make of it. We come to conclusions based on our limited amounts of data collected. And unless we experience the call of God to come out of death and into life through a relationship with the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ, every one of us will end up dead wrong. Here's my plea with you today. Consider the lie of the enemy that you should live your truth or follow your heart. And do this. Stop living your truth. Stop following your heart.
follow the truth and give him your heart. Would you stand with me? Y'all know this, but I'm going to say it again just because I feel like it sometimes maybe is forgotten. Every time I stand in this pulpit, every time I open the word of God and try to tell you, thus saith the Lord, share with you something from God's word that I feel like he's laid on my heart, the invitation is always this. If you need to know Christ and you've never publicly made a profession of faith in him, today is the day of salvation. If you've never stood up and said, I'm a follower of Jesus, I've repented of my sins, and I want to put my faith in him, then you're headed to hell. And you can put whatever kind of package you want to on that. You can live your truth and follow your heart, but both of those are going to get you into hell. You need to submit to the Lordship of Christ. If you've never done that, you want to do that today, then when I say amen in just a few minutes, you can come forward and we'll make that public. Number two, maybe you have made that profession in the past, but you've walked away from that profession. You really haven't lived like a Christian. You haven't lived like somebody who follows Jesus. You want to make today a day that you pivoted, that you turned and went back to the cross of Christ. You want to make a rededication of your life. You can do that today. If you need to join our church, move a letter, all that stuff, anything, all that is fine. If you've been saved, you profess faith in Christ, but you've never followed in believers' baptism, listen, the water's still warm. We'll get you up there today. You can do that. But specifically, intentionally, I want you to do this today. Here is the, the, the crux of the invitation time today. Are you living in a way that, that is not conducive to the Lordship of Christ? Whether you profess faith or not, are you, are you trying to live your truth? Are you, are you trying to follow your heart? Are you doing something that you know is dishonoring to God, that you know you feel that, that conviction in your heart when you do it? And today's the day where you're going to say, I'm going to turn from that. I, I don't want to follow my heart. I don't want to live my truth. I want to live for Jesus. I want to give Jesus my heart. I want to make my life count. The only way to make your life count is to live your life for Him. If you want to do that today, I'm just asking you to, to tell God that. You have one opportunity to be instantly obedient. Whatever the Spirit is prompting you to do, I'm going to pray when I say amen, you move. Don't wait for somebody else to move. Don't think about it. Don't study on it. If the Spirit is moving in your life, you feel conviction of the Holy Spirit, when I say amen, that's like a starter's pistol. You move. You get down here and do business with God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that one day all those years ago, I stopped living my truth and following my heart, and I surrendered to Christ. Lord, if there's anybody here that does not know you, anybody here who's never truly submitted to the Lordship of Christ, I pray that they would let go of their truth, let go of their heart, and they would trust you today. God, help us to be salt and light in a world that is desperate for truth. Help us to live as followers of Jesus. Help us to point other people to the truth, which is the gospel. God, move in this service however you see fit. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Let us be submissive to your will. We pray it in Christ's strong name. Amen.